Hi, I'm Hannah and welcome to Red Femme. I'm here with my very close colleague, Jen Isaacson. <laughs> Do I meant to say <laughs> yeah, my own yeah, name? Exactly. <laughs> Jen Isaacson. Okay. <laughs> so today we're going to be talking about a popular stuff. <laughs> okay, that's not We're going to be talking about a very popular new trend, but it's kind of a throwback. It's called TRAD, short for traditionalism, and we're going to use that to segue into talking about the Marxist concept of family abolitionism, what that means, what it doesn't. Yes. And what that could mean in an, an ideal society. Yes, or a communist society. Our our ideal society. Yeah. Yeah. I get a bit I don't want to speculate about a stateless society. It's just yeah. it's pie in the sky. So anyway. Trad, would you like to explain what it is, Hannah? So, basically, I don't have any numbers, obviously, but monitoring the trends on Twitter and TikTok and other things, it seems like a huge group of young people are now becoming very interested in traditionalism, and they're picking up traditional religious modes of being, such as traditional Catholicism and Calvinism and traditional Islam, Wahhabism, whatever, and they're partially this is because of a real dissatisfaction with kind of how sexual politics is now this thing of going on a dating app trying to find someone that you want to date or marry off, off of very slim pickings a lot of men are really dissatisfied with this a lot of women feel terrible about the situation it's a merry-go-round it's a merry-go-round that often doesn't lead anywhere and a lot of young people are celibate, a lot of young people can't afford homes, can't move out of their parents' house, and there's a lot of dissatisfaction with the state of sexual politics now. And a lot of young people are seeing traditionalism, like traditional families, complete with traditional religions, and the stay-at-home... It's very aspirational. Yeah, it's very aspirational. Well, I think it is to do with sexual politics, but I also think it's to do with how terrible the prospects are now for the average person. Yes. Even if now you manage to get a decent job, that doesn't mean that you can live in a city. Certainly not a no. desirable popular city. The cost of living crisis, the housing crisis means you can barely afford your own place just for you, let alone this idea of, okay, let's make more of us. You know, let's get in ma Even two people, right? This is the best economic unit going. Yeah. Even with dual incomes thinking, oh, let's have, you know, a couple kids. This is now wildly aspirational. Yeah. And I think that a lot of young people are seeing the raw deal that is ahead of them, that their standard of living is so much lower than their parents, lower than their grandparents at this point, if you're a Gen Z, right? Yeah. And you have boomer grandparents. Yeah. Like you're going to be so much more worse off than them. Millennials are a lot, uh, you know, very worse, uh, a lot worse off than their boomer uh, parents or I guess, yeah, I guess it's Gen X's tend to have Gen Z children. Yeah. Gen X also much better prospects when they were growing up. And I think a lot of the time they're looking at society and thinking, well, this doesn't work for me. And I know it's hard to believe, but, you know, I worked in a college this year. There were young people in their 20s, in their early 20s, who were monarchists. Yeah. Who wanted to go back to pre-modernity yeah they were like what's yeah. the point in democracy it hasn't delivered anything yeah and you sit there thinking like 
these alarm bells going off in your head because you're like, what? Wait, I, you know, I know our democracy is imperfect and it's not really democracy in many ways, but what? You know, and all of this stuff is antithetical to the 20th century of the right for, to vote for women, black people getting the vote, all these different things, right? Yeah. You just think, what the fuck is going on? But from their perspective, none of that has delivered much. And it's not like the left has some fabulous alternative, particularly on these questions. The left's alternative often is, well, everything's fine, and actually we should just do some more identity politics, basically. the left supports things like rent controls, and that's great. They have them in Europe. Their way of life is superior to ours. If you look at the Netherlands, Germany, so on, there's a lot more security for families. Um, However... That's not just not how it is in this country. And things have declined so much. I mean, in the 1960s, it was the Tories who supported rent controls. Yeah. Now, I think the mayor of London is asking, the Labour mayor is asking for a rent freeze. But the Labour Party doesn't support rent controls generally. No. I think the SNP has toyed with the idea years ago when they were really um, pitching themselves as a progressive alternative to Labour in about 2014. And it was part of their independence campaign, this idea that we'll be Scandinavian and we'll be social democratic uh, and so on. But yeah, I think it's to do with having no prospects. I mean, if you can't move out as an adult, when in history has that been, where has that been replicated? At least in some parts of the world, right? There's this idea in the Middle East, in certain countries or certain parts of Arab countries, that you will build a flat on top of your parents' house. So you're in an extended family building, but you have your own private flat when you get married, and then you have a child and so on. Even this is not possible in this country. Well, I also think young people, because this is generally how young people are, are looking for radical solutions. All of what you just outlined, doing rent controls, doing whatever, none of this is a radical reorganization of society. Right. And it's not like we have communists going, there's another way. This is why fascists' biggest enemies are always communists, and they always go for communists first, is because we actually have a, a solution to problems that they claim to have a solution for. Um, and they're wanting a radical reorganization of things. And to go back to a Catholic monarchy for a lot of them, sounds like a radical reorganization of things, that literally being a serf... I've literally come across TikToks of kids fantasizing about being serfs. What, because you get your own home, a patch of land? It's like, oh, democracy, and like a person like looking brain dead at a computer in an office, and it's like the terrible life of a serf, and it's like a romantic picture of like a field or something. Like it's... The, the, this this is the kind of radical reorganization of society that they're looking for. Mm. Yeah, and it, it chimes then with the more traditional sexual politics, whether yeah. that's yeah. celibacy. I mean, you know, we can talk about how much that's a chosen thing. Obviously, there are now a lot of involuntary celibates. There's a lot of young men particularly who are not finding anyone to have sex with. And then you just go, oh, well, you know, in the medieval period, the celibacy rate was about 15 20%. I could have just been a monk if I can't get married. Yeah. Because I'm not appealing to women for whatever reason. And then you have this place in society. There's still a vocation for you. Whereas if you say to people, grow up, get a job, get married, start a family. And they're like, well, my job means I can buy more shit, but it doesn't mean I can move out. And then I have no prospect of setting up shop with somebody for marriage and kids. You're just 
basically taking the piss out of me yeah. by by putting this in front of me as this kind of vision of yeah that I should aspire to it's never going to be possible and similarly like the sex positive liberals who are like you should have a polycule with like <laughs> yeah. uh you know and do cat fetish whatever it is they're like hey i can't find anyone to fuck anyway yeah i can't find one person let alone <laughs> three others <laughs> Also, this, like, is so cringe and, like, grotesque. This is not, like, the happy family life that I have, like, you know, fuzzy feelings about. And, no, there's no radical sexual politics on the left that answers any of these questions in any kind of meaningful way. So, like, what do people expect? Well, it's because the left won't critique porn. So we have a generation of young people that grew up on porn from about age 11. Yeah. So a lot of them, I don't want to overuse the word traumatized, but you know, they've been, they've been, uh, what can we say? Desensitized? Desensitized by it and disgusted by it. Yeah. So some are like, oh my God, if that's sex, actually I prefer to be celibate. Yeah. That's a huge contingency. Then there's uh, generally boys who are addicted to it and they're like, why would I go on a date when I can see inside a woman's vagina in two clicks? Yeah. I have to spend money on the date that I don't have. She might not fuck me even after three dates. Uh, hello, I have my laptop right here. Yeah. It's so much more secure, right? Yeah. So then you have this porn addiction stuff that means people aren't even really looking to get into a relationship because they feel they're getting their sexual needs met. I actually think they're probably not. But if you have nothing to compare it to... Yeah. I've had men that are virgins say, isn't having sex with another person just like masturbation? Yeah. With another person? I'm like, no totally different what and they just can't get their head around it and i'm like i don't know mate maybe you should try not being a virgin or something but then yeah there is just this idea as well that um because women you can explain maybe why this is but so many women are realizing that marriage and kids is a really bad deal for them and so they're going for the um the men at the top of the hierarchy generally who have a lot of money because they're like well this is the only way it would be worth it for me yes so I'm not willing to do all of this domestic labor for you. I'm not willing to have kids for you. And all of that could be fine if I'm going to have a certain lifestyle. So the thing that a lot of the time is complained about on the internet is this hypergamy, right? Yeah. And uh, the Andrew Tates of the world try and say, oh, we'll build, you up so you're high, build yourself up so you're a high value man. So you're in this top 10%, 5% that gets all the girls. And I think that dating apps have also really helped this this kind, this organization kind of happened, right? From the, the men that I know that are very successful in dating apps do fuck a different woman each week. Well, so, so, just... so therefore, those men are taking up all of the women from the other men. Yeah, and I think literally, it, it, well, I know, it just used to be that women needed to be married for their own material security. And that was the, the leverage, the point of um, leverage that men had. Yeah. And now women don't. Women don't need that. Women can get the same jobs men can get for the most part. Often they don't, but they could get very well-paying jobs as a woman. Yeah. So why are you asking me to... You, sorry, you want me to give up this on my career? You want me to give up my health? You want me to follow you around cleaning up after you? Why? For what? Like, what do you have to contribute? I mean, our friend Caroline Norma says this is like the death of love marriage. Mm. Basically, like, in the in the 20th century, there was this movement of, oh, you can marry for love, and... Like, this idea of love, Jermaine Greer talks about this in The Female Eunuch, 
used to be considered kind of a negative thing. Like you were hit by Cupid's arrow and then you were a bit ill for <laughs> a while. And you're out of your mind. And you were out of your mind. And it was actually quite dangerous. And like, oh, what if there's a child that comes about from this? And then who has responsibility for the child? And it was considered quite like a negative, almost sinister thing. And then there was a move of like, oh, no, but people, you can marry for love. And we can incorporate mm. these ideas of marriage and love together. And how long did that last? 50 years? Like, we're seeing that completely disintegrating. Now Gen Z are like, I need a man who makes 200K or more. And I need this house. And I need this investment. I don't see them talking about love and marriage no. very much at all. No. Well, I think it's about acknowledging to make this worth it for me. I need you to come to the table with a lot on offer. Yeah. And generally... It's very unsentimental. So unsentimental. And also, you know, I suppose upfront and honest, but I think that there's this acknowledgement from women now that men don't have that much to offer other than materially. Yeah. Right? So therefore, if you want my side of the deal, which is that I produce children, for myself, but for you as well... You're going to have to yeah. really have something that offsets that hmm. and means that I can do that in a in a way that's supported. I don't know, you know, lots of things. A friend of mine says she doesn't want children. The only way she would think about it is if there was a man with huge amounts of money and then she might for him because she, she just said, well, I could send the kid off to boarding school. There can be summer yeah. camps. No, but it's like she was like, I won't be that burdened for yeah. that long. It won't be zero to... 18 years and nowadays it's more like 25 years yeah zero to 25 like will they ever move out like we're seeing a kind of weird re-establishment of the extended family that a lot of people now when they have a kid have to move back in with their parents yeah because they can't afford it yeah and of course you know granny can babysit or whatever but all of this is just i mean this is why the government here have started to what are you thinking about babies yes <laughs> This is why the government here has decided that they're going to do, um, you know, greater nursery care, basically. It's now going to be four babies per staff member, so they can lower the price. Obviously, it also lowers the standard of care. Yeah. But people aren't having children. I mean, they're going to have to do a lot more radical stuff than that. The, the, the point is, is if they will, you know, if it fits in with their... Like, they just can't... Basically, the ruling class gives the workers enough to just live and work and not die. And, and, and then there's a, there's a, there's a um, period of concessions. When, the, when there's unrest, when there's problems, like, okay, okay, we'll give you, we'll lower the retirement age. We'll lower the whatever. We'll respond to your union demands. And I think it's so crazy in the UK that, like, half the junior doctors leave to Australia because they're just like, I cannot live my life with this incredibly stressful job for this amount of money and even that like so like will not they will not raise the wages yeah. so i wonder at what point will they just accept that they have to do it they have to like start paying women like 10 grand per baby well it'll probably be when it's too late and then the economic fallout of not having a generation of children lasts about a century Right. Right. Like the knock-on economics, economic effects are enormous. I mean, right now in Philadelphia, women are getting 10 grand to have a child. You get oh, a, is that true? Well, you get $1,000 per month and you're pregnant for nine months. This is almost 10 grand, right? Yeah. Well, there's a child tax credit in Canada, which is similar. How much is it? I think Trudeau raised it from 900 to 1100 but this was like in 2016. 
$900 to $1,100. And this is, I guess you could buy some stuff for when they're born. Yeah. That's it, really. But they estimate paying for a child over a lifetime of, well, zero to 18 is in the hundreds of thousands. Yeah. No, yeah, of course. I mean, there's not even, like, people don't have the living space to physically put a child. No. So, like, like, what? I mean, it's just become crazy. Anyway, young people are looking at this and go, I want my family. I want my dreams. I want my, like, warm, fuzzy feelings of, like, wanting companionship and all these things to be realized. What's the way to get it? It's not like the left has anything to offer. I guess we'll have to return to a return to monarchy. Well, it's about looking at the past with nostalgia and thinking, weren't things better there? And I think people did that a lot. People did that a lot about the 70s and 60s. But then you think, okay, well, we've been thinking about it for a long time. And you just, the, the thing you said about radical change, you think, well, under feudalism, I probably had a better deal. Everyone then had a family and a home. Yeah. And a vegetable patch sounds quite nice. And to be honest, given the hostilities of most workplaces, right? Most workplaces yeah. are hostile environments for women to live, uh, to work. Yeah. You know, especially maybe if you're GC, but just generally, right, working conditions are terrible, again, compared to Europe. Yeah. And I think that then you think, well, there's no way I can buy a house and provide security. I don't want to be getting, like, evicted by a landlord whilst I'm having to carry my baby. My my child will be like, oh, I had eight childhood homes. And this is just an awful prospect for them. Imagine how then their memories of different places, it's so kind of fragmented and then people think, well, this kind of, uh, you know, cottage core trad dream that a lot of, I don't want to say fasc- crypto fascist accounts. And some fascists. Yeah, are some, promoting. Yeah. Now, all the time online, what I tend to see is generally Twitter and TikTok, but they're the most popular, really, other than Instagram, is, you know, you shouldn't prioritize you're buying shit online, reject porn, reject all these things that you can spend money on. And what you should be interested in is marriage, children, and going and having like a, you know, a place to live in the countryside. And Tell them about that Instagram account. Which one? The one where it's like, all that matters is how many children you have. That's the real market. Oh, it's a Twitter. It's called Trad West. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, that's the one. And it has these memes where like a man in cartoon form yeah. is rejecting a kind of OnlyFans girl. And she's like, how can't you resist me? And he says, because I have God, family, and Jesus. Yeah, And it's this idea that all you really need as a man is to kind of work out, eat meat, have six children, a fertile wife. And then there's always this barn in the background. It's the idea that you can just go and live on a patch of land yeah, and basically, you know, raise your own little family there. And I have to say even as a, a radical Marxist, blah, blah, I see the appeal compared to what? Living in an overcrowded, underfunded city with horrible public transport in a hostile work environment that doesn't even pay me enough to buy a studio flat in the city just for my own security. And in the prospect of like, oh yeah, a wife and kids and a nice country home with some land you think this sounds wonderful in comparison and it doesn't sound alienating yeah and that's it like people are so alienated from their work and and like a lot of people work these nonsense online jobs 
where they log in for two hours in the morning, send some emails, and then they have like a like a device they put on their their mouse that mm-hmm. kind of jiggles to be like, see, I'm at work, and then they spend the rest of their day like what, like scrolling TikTok or doing whatever. People are very like, how is this a meaningful? Um, and of course, there are people who are in trades, jobs, and doing real work and whatever. But my point is, is, this is not a very meaningful existence. Yeah. Well, it's like David Gray was bullshit jobs. Yeah. I mean, I just couldn't. I couldn't do one. I couldn't. I'd prefer to do anything else. I know a woman who said that before COVID, she worked nine to five, five days a week in an office. After COVID, when things moved all work from home. She says, I only have to do work from 9 to 11 every day. That's quite, the day, that's, the quite, day that's quite nice, though, if you then have stuff to do. But living in cities, things are so expensive now. But it just goes to show how meaningless the work yes, is. Yes, yeah. Imagine what she was doing for 40 hours a week before. Well, people find ways to get through the day in offices, right? Tea breaks. Yeah, exactly. Vaping exa- breaks. Yeah, exactly. Having a chat with Sally, going to the staff room again, having a snack, maybe checking social media, I mean, the reason why social media at 10 a.m. is the highest traffic is people have got to work for an hour yeah, and then they want a little break. So they go for five minutes on the Twitter or, or yeah. wherever. Yeah. It's all related to labor, actually. Yes. But this thing about, I think people move to cities, or certainly I did, because they wanted to be less alienated. They wanted to meet people. You want yeah. to meet people you can kind of share ideas with. There's lots of pubs you can go and talk, or at least mm-hmm. they used to be. I mean, Gen Z aren't going to pubs. And nowadays it's like £6.50 for a pint. Um, but those kind of things where there was events going on, there was cultural things. And today, cities feel very much the opposite in terms yeah. of being alienated from your work or from other people. And so, again, this idea that you can just build a kind of oasis for yourself in the middle of nowhere, it starts to be appealing, even for people who don't consider themselves very traditional. And it's not like there's a group of communists going, it doesn't have to be this way. We can organize society around people's needs and we can have we can have a society, have an economy, have a state that supports people with what they need to do the things they want so they're not alienated from their well, work. Well, there are some socialists pointing at those things a little bit, but again, they've really, they've kind of capitulated away from radicalism and therefore it's not as appealing to young people who every generation of young people wants some kind of radical change usually. Yes, or they're really concerned with identity politics. And I think that today, again, it's it's about young people being rebellious. It's like when Nick Cave was asked today, what would you do to be rebellious? And he said, I would go to church. Yeah. This is kind of, you know, it's like at the Disney Awards this year. I saw it on Twitter that, I don't know what his name is, some young actor who's very you know popular, thanked God. And people said, oh, we're back to that. It's like, yes, young people used to, their parents used to make them wear virginity rings. Now they're doing it as a reaction to porn. Or they're doing it despite their parents. And they're doing it despite their parents. Yeah. So in the past it was, oh, I'll dye my hair blue, I'll get a piercing, I'll get tattoos, my parents would be horrified. Their parents look like that. There's a lot of people who mock this idea of like, oh, the right is the new left and the right is countercultural. We've run the experiment. Yeah. It's true. It's it was true. completely borne out to be completely true. As a Marxist, lesbian radical we lost the war on that and why because 
the left has just become, we know socialists, Marxists, we know people who really talk about housing rights. We know people who talk about minimum wage. We know people who talk about trade unionism. Living the, wage? <laughs> Come on. Yeah, we know these people. But the most people, they just think the left, they think polycules, they think um, Disney, they think corporations, they think the Democratic Party, they think um, whatever, Robin D'Angelo. This is what they think of when they mm. think of the left. Yeah. And it's the hegemonic power. Destiny, whatever, the the um, streamer guy, I saw a, a, a clip of him on TikTok, and it was a conservative, and he was saying, oh, no, you're losing. You think that you have power when you have a conversation. I'm a liberal. We control art. We control culture. We control cinema. We control the presidency. We're the hegemonic power. You should be licking my shoe. And he's right. Yeah, he's right. Well, people have then, they understand that that's the left because there isn't an alternative left to that particularly. No, no there's not. Th that's particularly pronounced. And even the left where they are good on housing or whatever, they're capitulating increasingly onto on workers' rights, which we talked about on the last episode. And now they've fully given way to just these constituent identity groups where they're like, oh, yeah, it's all about LGBTQ, whatever. And then the way they deal with race now is Black Lives Matter rather than other, you know, anti-racist currents. And I think that that seems to be the, the focus. And then young people just think, oh, well, I don't see what that does for me materially. No, it doesn't do anything. No. And it's lame. And yeah. it's fucking lame. It's like HR department, school counselor, like infantile, mm. boring, like sterile and fucking lame. It is like infantile authoritarianism. <laughs> it's not, it's like the opposite of like erotic or interesting. It's like your mum and like your school teacher being like, you should use the pronouns. Like it's... Yeah, there's nothing transgressive there. Nothing at all. And that is, you know, as we say... Generally, in history, it's young people who then rebel against what the current order is, and they're rebelling in this trad way. And I'm sure there's lots of parents that are horrified when their kids are like, yeah, I'm straight, and I'm a virgin, and I'm going to be until marriage. And I actually think homosexuality is degeneracy, and I actually think we should have a monarchy, and I actually think modernity is the problem. And I want to have a Christian wedding and have yeah. six children. The parents must just be like, oh my God, what's going on? Yeah, no, completely. And as from a feminist perspective for women, it's like all they've seen from feminists is like this, yeah, quote unquote, sex positive, pro-prostitution, pro-pornography line. That's what they think feminism is. And radical feminists get really mad and be like, oh no, but there's us. They don't know you exist. They've never heard your analysis. You haven't offered them anything. So they don't care. I was like a feminist for years before I knew what radical feminism was because it doesn't end doesn't enter anyone's orbit. GC stuff now is changing that a bit. It is, yeah. But it's dis it's something distinct. It's replaced it basically. Yeah. And there was an absence of thirty years. Yeah. From nineteen ninety. Okay, okay, till nearly twenty twenty. Yeah. 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 A thirty year gap. A thirty year gap of almost almost nothing that people get really emotional when we point that out, but it is the case. And you can say like, oh, it was so hard. And we were like, but it's true. Like no one knows you exist. No one has heard your analysis of prostitution. 
No one has heard your analysis of pornography. It got better from the 2010s no. onwards, to, and then it's now sort of back in And 2020s. crucially, no one's heard your criticism of the traditional family. So, so what do women think the alternative is to pornography and prostitution? The traditional family. Yeah. Well, their criticism of the traditional family would just be that men are bad, or that like men give you a bad deal. I no, guess. I don't think so. I think it's... Oh, come on. It is. It's domesticity. Marriage is bad for women. It's not always explicitly stated, mm. but I mean, Betty Freedom's pretty clear about it being not a great deal. Yeah, but I, I would say that there is some very good criticisms of the traditional family and second wave feminism that are a bit more advanced. No, than I'm talking about in, the last, in, in that 30 year gap. Yeah, no, there was nothing. That's right. Point. Yeah, that's my point. They, and they didn't, that, what Betty Friedan wrote about with the problem that has no name, that we're all supposed to be happy. Cleaning, spending our entire day cleaning our house, our entire day obsessing over our children. No one's actually happy. What's what's happening? What's wrong with me? They've never heard any of this. No, uh, but also the TikTokers that are these girls that say, "I want to be a trad wife." They all have beautiful kitchens that are clearly their parents. I mean, they haven't even left home. Yeah, so they're going to get a pretty big shock when that. Ha- but they're, but they're seeing what's the way forward to progress. How can I subjectively reproduce myself? Well, it used to be consuming things. No one has money to do that. Yeah. A lot of people don't anyway, young people particularly. The other way is marriage and relationships and children literally reproducing yourself. And to be abundantly clear, I think this could be a huge disaster for them. I think they're all going to be in family court in 10, 15 years in financial ruination. Fact is, is they don't know that. No. It's very easy to romanticize something when you haven't had an experience of it. And when you're trapped in the home for the seventh day in a row haven't seen a friend with a screaming baby and a man who doesn't give a shit about you it's very easy to go oh the traditional family is so wonderful and there has been not to name names but some pretty high profile right-wing women commentators who have been finding that out yeah yeah well women those women will realize that going from the, the parental home with its restrictions yeah to the family home has its new different restrictions yeah, it's a shame. I th- I even think that, you know, the the stuff that's going on in South Korea that 50% of women don't want to have kids or get married, that's really because of economic conditions. There's mm-hmm. a small percentage of those that have then found feminism really to justify it. That's been the way around it's worked. They haven't found feminism first. Right. Not from what I can tell. Yeah, it is interesting how that's popped up there and gained a huge amount of popularity. But, I also think that Korea didn't have a 1950s post-war boom. They had the Korean War, where like 30% of people died. So they don't have very much to romanticize That's true. in the cultural imagination backwards. But I also think those countries are sort of in a more advanced stage of capitalism, in that they had their housing crisis start earlier. It's the same in yeah, Japan. Yeah, it is, yeah. Experiencing a really low birth rate... In Japan, the youngest generation, the most conservative, the radicals are found only really amongst the older population. So we're going to be exactly the same. I would love to speak to Sylvia Federici about this, though she probably wouldn't acknowledge us. Maybe she would. She got cancelled for talking about women's bodies. Who knows? But her whole theory was about how in the transition from feudalism to capitalism, there was this process of primitive accumulation and how that involved hunting witches and in places where you see globalization come in and privatization of land and so on, there's always, almost always this um, witch hunting phenomenon that goes on at the same time. It's about forcing women into the home, about 
living, going from subsistence farming on the land to living in a home in like a capitalist model or whatever. I would love to hear what she would think about young people wanting to go back to feudalism. Well, it chimes with the whole techno-feudal idea, right? Yeah. The idea that it could be an alternative if you can manage to find a patch of land with a house on it means that you don't need to be in you don't need to be in that scenario where you know like that that essay that Tim Dillon references where it's like you'll own nothing and love it where you'll rent you'll own everything and you'll be happy yeah you'll own nothing and you'll be happy you just have these subscriptions you have a subscription to Netflix you have a subscription to your home you have a subscription to your car people that i know i didn't realize you could just get cars on finance but it's and it's barely finance like you can just give them back yeah. You're renting a car, you're having that subscription. It's just £500 to have a very swish car but per month. But I think it's interesting that in this period, about like Silvia Federici's work, in this period where we're moving to like a hyper, um, hyper-globalized, hyper-financialized, like what you're describing is financialization, basically. Yeah. Mode of economy, this kind of... When, because capitalism is a system that cannot sustain itself because it's based on uncontrolled exponential growth, at a certain point, you're not going to have the growth anymore. So what when you need people to be constantly buying and buying and buying and they have no money, what do you do? You introduce credit, right? So we have this financialized system that is like this hyper-capitalism. And you can kind of see people joke like, oh, everyone says everything's late-stage capitalism. It is because it's on credit. A lot of this money does not exist. I mean, but, governments exist on credit. Yeah, like, like everything our, is... Our country is in trillions of pounds of debt. Italy's the same. Just, America's the same. I'm saying it's interesting that Federici's theory about women and how that there, there there is this kind of ideological process of primitive accumulation that if we can control women and put them in the home, they become this basic unit of capitalism. Once the system starts to fail, why are women talking about now going back to feudalism as an ideal? Because it seems like a good alternative to the economic future. Would you? Wouldn't you think that there'd be more witch burning? Oh, well, there is with some with GC stuff. Yeah, I think as well. There, it's been offset that prospect because a lot of men are just, I don't know, quite happy with not having a family and just having poor and dating apps and prostitution. Yeah. So the brothel model, really. Yeah. And the women that don't want to be involved in the brothel model, Andrew Dworkin's model of heterosexuality, they're the ones that then go, no, 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 I want to be the farm model. Please, yeah. can I go to a farmhouse and yeah. just have the one guy to deal with? Yeah. And they're avoiding that. And then there's the vol cells in South Korea, 50% of them voluntary celibates. And then there's a the fem cells that are a subset of that, right? Feminists that are celibate. I just, yeah. I, I think it's a response to that arrangement, and it makes a lot of sense. And a lot of this thing, this idea, even that men even want relationships now, they might want sex. It, a lot of men are like, oh, don't want to get married, don't want to have kids. There isn't this emphasis on it. Yeah, and I think like Federici's theory of like when we move from one mode, one mode to another, there is a a similar, um, there's a spike in violence against women, basically. And she's saying in the transition from feudalism to capitalism, there is a spike in violence against women, which is the witch burnings. I think that we might be seeing something with that now, because it's really interesting that 
a lot of men were like, yay, OnlyFans, OnlyFans is great. Then these women who do OnlyFans go on these podcasts and get called whores. They get called whatever. And there's almost this, like, justification of, like, dehumanization against them. I was going to say that it will be digital. So there's loads of digital sex crimes against women in South Korea. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know about Japan, but I imagine it's similar. But there's a a real lot of that. Yeah. And this is why so many women there don't want their image on the internet um, because it gets made into porn. I think that all of it will be through pornography, yeah. spy cams, yeah. and so on. And it's really about, yeah, this, this reorganization of sexual access. And this has been talked about for years. I mean, Jordan Peterson went on Joe Rogan and said, I mean, he basically made an argument for equality of outcome. Mm. And that in some places like Sudan, um, where some men have lots of wives because they have a lot of money, that other men were like, getting into literally murdering each other over kind of rustling each other's cattle. Because if you could get 50 cows, you could like buy a wife and negotiate that. And what Joe Rogan pointed out to John Peterson was, but you're against equality of outcome in all of the realms. So isn't it just the top guy gets four wives? And in our country, it would be the top guy gets a wife plus some side chicks. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I think there's something interesting about as capitalism falls apart, rather than this this romanticization of feudalism is very interesting. And how there's this kind of accompanying violence against women, which is huge. And which is digital in and nature, digital which in nature. is... Yeah. But this is techno-feudalism. Yeah. Right? I really do think things will be like that. And it's like now, you know, your arrangement with uh, a flat, if you're renting these kind of third-party companies that you do it all through. You never meet the person. It's faceless. Yeah. It's all going to become not just alienating, but there's just these blocks, these non-negotiable credit scores or social scoring or whatever's going on. And then, of course, it just becomes a dream that you can just retreat from all of this and be like, no, I could just have a nice cottage somewhere, a couple kids I could enjoy. And I think in the future it will become a flex to be like, I'm not on the internet. I'm not yeah. on social media. And it'll become a flex to say that you met your partner in real life, not over technology. And there's also, because people are so isolated, there's also not a lot of opportunities to meet people in real life. There's no real community organization other than churches. Churches, yeah. Well, it's like the popularity of that conservative dating app, The Right Stuff that a lot of women who aren't conservatives are using it because they want to find a man who isn't addicted to porn, yeah. is serious about a relationship leading to marriage and children, and you're like, maybe he's not going to be into BDSM. And also conservatives are more attractive. Physically? Yeah. Because, yeah, yeah. Well, that is a thing. Like, as a leftist, it is a, it is a thing. Well, it's like that TikTok that went viral where it was a guy saying, if I become right-wing... I'll go to the gym more. I'll eat more red meat. I get a wife. I'll go to church. I'm a beloved part of my community. I'm a beloved member of my community. If I decide to go with the left wing's ideas, I get my dick chopped off. Well, it's also if you're like, I think it's a chicken or egg. I also think conservatives are more attractive because, you know, if you're, if you look great, you're like, and things are good for you and you get, why do you need to change anything? Yeah. Why, why do you think society should change? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. It is a, Definitely. Well, let's let's talk in this context about the family abolition, abolition idea. Now, it is true that in the Communist Manifesto, Marx has a heading where he says family abolition, yeah. and he really talks about 
how the working class do not get to enjoy the family ties that the bourgeoisie have mm. um, because parents don't even get to spend a lot of time with the children because they're at work. And he makes a difference and he really means that he wants to get rid of the idea of the bourgeois mm. family that is just based on property relations. And again, this was pre-love matches. Yes. Was the idea of these marriages for money. Um, but then this has been taken by the modern left and used in nefarious ways, actually for a long time, I think in very strange ways, um, to somehow say that the nuclear family, which a lot of the time is the last line defence against things like child sexual abuse, because mothers, most mothers care about their children and want to protect them from that kind of thing. And actually, in terms of attachment, you really do need children in a highly structured environment where they have a primary attachment, which is almost always the mother, and then a secondary, if possible, doesn't have to be, but there's someone else around who can then essentially care for the primary attachment being yeah, so that she can really look after the child or can take turns and whatever. But this has now been, this was experimented with with the so, in the social movements of the 1960s and 70s. What are you laughing at? You got babies again. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so things like the kibbutz in Israel, they would have children um, kind of sleeping in makeshift structures, camper vans. I'm not trying to say that there's anything wrong with them in terms of the material, but the children would sleep in a different building to the parents. Yeah. And this caused reportedly a lot of problems for those children later on, a lot of adults saying that they didn't emotionally develop particularly. Yeah. Um, and I just think it's because the left has never taken mothers seriously or children seriously. If they've never thought about things like attachment and how vital it is. Attachment is really the basis of from which you develop, right? Yeah. So it should be paramount in our thinking about these things. And I think the left now in its kind of wet dreams about surrogacy. Oh, goodness. Just this idea where they, and they like to say things like, oh, but it takes, it takes a village to raise a child. And then, of course, a woman who's stuck looking after three kids, whether she has a husband or not, she's often the one stuck looking after the kids. This sounds great. It's the idea as if there's, oh, there's going to be a free nursery or something. It's like, no, unfortunately today, what they are talking about or what would happen is that other adults have access to your children. And in societies where extended families are the norm, still because of poverty. So you will have um, aunts, uncles in the same room as one yeah. family. So South Africa, India, Brazil, sexual abuse is rife. Yeah. Because people are a lot more likely to sexually abuse their nieces and nephews than their children. Yeah. I say people, I mean men. Yeah. So uncles, grandfathers, so on, are much more likely to do that. And you end up with a society where about half the children are sexually abused. I think it's a, around half in those societies. Yeah. And then, of course, the catastrophic psychological problems those children have in adulthood. This just isn't a society that we can... No. That we could have... And this thing of the slogan, it's basically sloganeering. It's like an infantile leftism where we look at a slogan yeah. of abolish the family gets to justify all this, where he was talking about a very specific bourgeois formation of transferring property through generations is what he meant by abolishing the bourgeois family. Marx wrote a lot about working class families and how it's impossible to have like a healthy working class family under capitalism and how capitalism undermines the working class family. It's not true that he meant we should rip mother, <laughs> rip children from their mothers. Yeah. 
Yeah. So it's misused by a lot of bad actors on both the right and the left. The right go, oh, see these evil Marxists, they want to take your mummy away from you. It's not what was meant. And then some really nefarious figures who are often apologists for pedophilia. Yeah. yeah. And it's not like they set out their vision right, because that's exactly what it would be. Yeah. And it would sound crazy. And the working class would be like, you want to take my kids away? Fuck off. Yeah. Whereas I sometimes think, oh, you know, the, I could imagine a kind of feminist vision of collective child rearing where women raise children collectively, as sometimes actually is still happening in the feudal-esque areas of Pakistan, apparently. Yeah. Women get together. It means that, you know, you can go off the evening or go off the day because some women that you know and trust are kind of running a sort of makeshift free nursery um, in the village that you're affiliated with and that you know very well and know everyone there. I can imagine a, f- a feminist vision of collective child rearing that would look like a, a version of that. But that's not what they mean. No. It's just not what they mean. What they mean is that we're going to create a caste system of women that's more entrenched than the current one where people don't have their own kids, like a woman doesn't gestate her own child. You pick some poor woman in India, pay her £3,000, and then your baby arrives, you go to collect your baby. Um, I, I love that Like Chloe Kardashian was like, oh, I just don't feel very attached to, to the baby. baby. Yeah, I know. Oh, I wonder fucking why. Yeah. It's just like, think for mm-hmm. a moment, you idiot. And then, you know, this idea that there would be... I think that what the right is worried about and so the terrible sections of the so-called left want is this idea that almost other people raise your child. Yeah. Right? So they can be indoctrinated in certain ways. And it's really, I I do worry that it is, they really want to separate mothers from children precisely because mothers are the final line against sexual access of men to their kids. Yeah. And unfortunately, there's not been a lot of radical feminist writing on this topic because a lot of radical feminists are just flatly antinatalist and their whole kind of line is don't have a baby, it's bad. <laughs> and that doesn't really think very much beyond that. I think... Kelly J said something that was actually very good about this, and she said, I understood why that had to Kelly Jane Keemanshaw, a.k.a. Posey Parker, has some very good thoughts sometimes, um, said that, you know, there's a reason why um, women had to separate the idea of motherhood being necessary and essential to be a woman. There was a reason why that, that feminists had to say, like, no, 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 you don't need to have children to be a woman. It's perfectly fine not to. But unfortunately, it seems to have stopped the kind of analysis seems to have stopped there. And there hasn't been a lot of consideration about these kinds of issues. Not whether or not it's like some moral judgment, which is so often what ends up happening in feminism. Is, is being a mother bad or is it good? And then half the people go, no, it's good. I love being a mother. And the other half go, no, it's bad because you're not free. You don't get to do whatever. And like, like everything in life, it's both bad and good. Yeah, exactly. There's not a lot of like thinking about actually... There's black and white thinking. Yeah, exactly. About how we should organize these things. Things like feminist... I remember I very naively tweeted something... Does anyone have a book to read about mother motherhood from a radical feminist perspective? And I just got, like, no replies because I just didn't know that such a thing isn't really spoken about. No, I think because of the historical moment it emerged in, yeah. there was really, you know, about critiquing how bad things were for mothers. And I think that happens still just all the time. And then the solution is don't be one. Yeah, that's, that's it. Because it's a lifestyle thing. Yeah, it gets so much, called a so lifestyle. Much, so much of the, well, so much of the radical feminist solutions to things end up being 
about lifestyle and culture. Yeah. Yeah. Rather than, like, structurally looking at a problem. But also even the idea that motherhood is a lifestyle. Mm. I mean, it's a very different lifestyle for a rich woman or a poor woman or a woman with a good husband or a bad husband. But I'm saying that they think not having a child is a lifestyle choice that all women should do and but, they should proselytize. And, and I'm saying that, yeah. that that only works if you also count motherhood inverse, as a yeah, lifestyle. Yeah, the inverse is also true. Which it's not. Yeah. Well, it's the majority of women. It's like 90% of women. A bit less now bit less now yeah. historically yeah. certainly yeah yes and i feel like the family abolition thing is just another one of those windy infantile ultra leftist demands that the left makes totally alienates working class people which is at this point what i think they might want to actually do alienates anyone sane and then also means that you can never deliver but you look you posture as a radical right yeah yeah exactly or you write insane books about surrogacy and how we should have like a cast of women who. It's just unbelievable. I sometimes don't know. Is that one married to a man? She's married to a trans woman. Right. Sophie. So a man. <laughs> yeah, I know, but that kind of man. Yeah. So what's her name? Sophie. I forget. Let's look it up. Let's look it up. And I'll say it was, she was given 10 grand for that surrogacy book by Verso. Wow. They are just launching money at any women who will promote porn, surrogacy, prostitution, transgenderism. Full surrogacy now. Sophie. Lewis. Lewis. Feminism against family. Yeah. And this is a this is a, like a heterosexual woman in a in relationship a, in, with a man. With a yes. Yeah. A man who calls himself a woman. Right. So one of the worst kinds of men. Yeah, terrible. I just think what's interesting is that you could have that book, Feminism Against Family, from a radical feminist perspective, even. Yeah. Or you could, yeah, you could critique the bourgeois family and, and so on. And, but it's just, whenever I've tried to read her stuff, first of all, it's vague and sort of soupy. Oh my God, it's just like all the words together in one. I'm just reading the description of the book. Lewis sets out to write an Im- immoderate, utopian partisan anti-authoritarian communist defense of surrogates and surrogacy in ramifying registers of meanings and practices and she has succeeded lewis asked the necessary questions can we parent politically hopefully non-reproductively in a comradely way christ alive rooted in a historically site-based narrative political accounts full surrogacy now is the serious radical cry for full gestational justice I mean, what could be said? I just, I just can't believe the left became this post-structuralist and this post-modern. And I mean, just the way of using, like, the, the communist language drives me nuts. But the whole of that language is just so offensive. Like the way it's, it's so offensive. The way it's spat together. I mean, it's a lot of silly language to say we should have a cast of women, because that's the point. We never talk about the women. We never talk about the women who actually would have to undergo a medical procedure in which they have someone else's baby implanted in them and then give birth to it, gestate it, love it, care for it in its own own womb, hearing her own heartbeat, and then have it ripped away from her seconds after birth. And then just have this cast of women, and that's their role in society. With communists, a lot of communists seem perfectly happy that there's a cast of women that is sexually or reproductively exploited. That's what a lot of them believe about prostitution. That there should be no exploitation unless it's sexual exploitation, in which case we should have a cast of women who are constantly earmarked for sexual exploitation. 
And they're always sort of disembodied. No one talks about the toll of having a baby, right? This old wives saying that with every baby you lose a tooth, with every pregnancy you lose a tooth. It's because it really, it takes from your body. And and women can't actually lose teeth from being pregnant. They can. Yeah. Yeah. No, exactly. That's where it comes from. And that you're pushing your body to, they say, to the end of the human limit. Something like running a marathon is, is also another limit, human limit. Having a baby also is. Yeah. And I mean, these women are the mothers of the yeah, children. They, they are. Like this, yeah. like all this surrogate, gestational carrier, whatever. It's the mother. It's the mother of the, ch- of the child that, and what kind of woman in your ideal communist society is going to sign up to be a surrogate? Because you've acknowledged under communism, right? There's, there's no more, because right now it's just economic. It's yeah. just women are poor. They need money. So they give away their babies for money. That it's an, it's an economic need. So we don't have that economic exploitation anymore because it's communism. So there's a group of women who, by din of being loving, sacrificial, wonderful, feminine, kind-hearted people who are willing to make the sacrifice do it, it's so regressive. You're making mm-hmm. kind of a very normative statement about there's a group of women for whom the giving up their own children would be considered a loving, sacrificial well, thing no, to do. There's just no precedent. The only people I know that have used a surrogate other than buying it have been, I only know of them, right? But it's been a family member. And and those situations often go very poorly. Very poorly. But it has been that altruistic, I love my sister. Yeah. I'm happy to do this. I love my cousin, whatever it is. I'll help her out. Again, rare. And it, I bet it goes terribly wrong a lot of the time. But it's just, yeah. But Who my point is, be? is that like, if it's not economic exploitation, why do it, right? Because you're you're acknowledging for Sophie Lewis's book, we live in a communist society. This would be part of a communist process. So there, so it's it's a making a normative statement about who women are and what what kind of people women are, which is that they're self-sacrificing. They don't give a shit about their own bodies. They're happy to be reproductively used for another person's purpose. It's all incredibly regressive and backwards. Maybe she thinks you'll be rewarded by like a bigger house luxury well, surround we're, we're back to material stuff luxury surroundings yeah to be pregnant in well we should read the book i find it you can i find it really hard to force myself to read trash i know i i sometimes i what i usually do is read the first third then go okay. that's enough <laughs> but maybe next time i mean it's unbelievable i think she's writing her second book on it now with verso i'm sure they gave her another 10 oh, grand really? Well, they're just ideologically committed. It's one of the editors, though. I mean, that's a bit harsh. I shouldn't say that. What? I was just going to say, like, the kind of woman who would be happy to call a man a woman to make him feel good, of course, is the same kind of woman who would be happy to say, yeah, there should be a cast of women who we should have permanently reproductively exploited. Of course. This is a woman that was tweeting about that Netflix called My Octopus, My Love, and it's some guy that did a documentary on octopuses and he really likes them. And she made it like a sexual thing and was like queer love for octopi. I watched that documentary once and like I told a friend about that. It was a black woman. She was like, what kind of white bullshit <laughs> is this? And I was like, I remember watching it and thinking like at a certain point, is it like a sex? I mean, I know that she's is he saying, in, Is he in love with the octopus? It sounds like he's in love with the octopus. He's like, it. she taught me about life and she taught me about how to live and she taught me about love and she taught me like the full capacity of my humanity. It's like very, it's a very weird romantic thing about an octopus. 
Well, anyway, Sophie Lewis supported that and said, this is queer love. But this is this is this is when we get into like the idea of humans fucking animals, right? Yeah, it is. And falling in love with animals that do not love us back. <laughs> so, you know, cannot consent. Like that. Yeah, exactly. The octopi <laughs> cannot consent, Sophie. <laughs> You're trying to have your uh, throplet with the the octopi. Oh Christ! And this person, this woman, won't know any gay people. She'll no. know some gay men. She won't know any lesbians. Yeah. I'm really like a very like conforming woman. Anyway, I think that's good. Yes. All right. Well, thanks for having a listen. And uh, we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye.